Strategy and Insider, exploring future trends and their impacts. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the 18th episode of the Strategy and Insider podcast. We continue to dive into the future of healthcare and are very proud that we have built such a significant audience by now listening to those conversations. And from that said, thanks to each and every one of you who regularly tunes in. My name is Thomas. I'm your host and a partner with Strategy End. And after our last episode, where we talked about neural engineering, uh, we now have a leading executive of one of the biggest pharma players worldwide, whom I know for quite some time now. And I'm more than honored that he actually agreed to be my guest. So without further ado, let me introduce um, Dr. Christian Rommel. Christian is the head of pharmaceuticals research and development at Bayer, which is a global corporation active in healthcare and life sciences. And in his role, Christian is responsible for accelerating innovation, advancing drug candidates and bringing ultimately transformative therapies to patients in need. He is actually perfectly equipped to excel in this capacity with more than an impressive track record, if you ask me, beginning his master's degree in pharmacology from the University of Greifswald and holding a PhD degree in molecular oncology from the Max Planck Institute of Molecular Genetics here in Berlin and the Institute of Medical Virology at the University of Zurich. Next to this, um, he gained profound working experience in the US and Switzerland at several world-leading pharma companies such as Regeneron, Amgen, Merck and Roche, where he held prestigious roles in target research but also in oncology. He also helped building a VC-funded startup uh, in Telekine in San Diego from inception to an acquisition by Takeda all within only five years. And in 2014, he was also appointed as lecturer for biotechnology and drug discovery at the Eidgenössische Technische Hochschule Zurich, ETH, that we also had recently a podcast with uh, Hans Bernd Bodenmiller. And additionally, he has also authored more than 80 publications and is an inventor or co-inventor, at least, of 18 patents. In early 2021, finally, Christian joined Bayer here in beautiful, unfortunately also a bit cloudy and rainy Berlin today, as their new head of research and development, where he um, also is a member of the executive committee. And all in all, his professional, but also personal career offers more than enough aspects to discuss in today's episode, which is why, personally, I can't wait to get right into it. But before we do that, Christian, Really big thanks for making it into today's podcast, inviting me here into the studio uh, at Bayer in Berlin. Big pleasure to have that dialogue with you today. Yeah, so first, hi, Thomas, and anyone else who is the other side of this podcast. Yeah. Um, really nice to see you again. I have to say that's my first podcast, and I, one benefit I just realized is if there's without any video, when you <laughs> said some few nice things about me, which I thought was too long and too generous, you can't see when you flash or if I was even rolling my eyes. So, um, you know, uh, but let's get in. But, but, but what do we want to discuss now? But this is actually what you achieved. So yeah, uh, yeah. it's all let's fine. Let's move on, yeah. move on, move on. <laughs> I want to see so, you more yeah. red, yeah? 
<laughs> no, to be honest, I, I do feel very lucky and um, I had very many guests with impressive CVs, but uh, I think personally you stand out because of all the roles that you had in your career, but also the mere fact that you authored those 80 publications. And this is actually also where I would have my first question around because of that day-to-day -day job that you're holding and uh, all the signs that you need to entrench yourself and the articles that you need to read yourself, how many unpublished or at least half-finished publications do you have lying around uh, still waiting to see the light of day at some point? I didn't think about that yet. I think for sure there are lots of unpublished ideas or dreams. But rather, uh, I would say, why is um, publication or peer review so important? In particular, when you work in the industry sector. And fundamentally, I believe and commit to publications for every scientist, regardless where you work. I think publication is a very healthy process in terms of sharing, uh, establishing transparency. You invite others to critique Mm. Uh, to debate your work, why well, it's fundamentally in science that you need to enter a debate. I think it always maintains and further grows your, your rigor. And it also manages the bias that we all have and we pursue our ideas. Uh, so publication is super important. And then, of course, you know, it is also a commitment to let others reproduce your data. Mm. Uh, so it's, it's all about rigor. You mentioned a role, and if you do what I do in my job, I think you really have to shift to inspire others, create an environment uh, and a commitment, because it's required for publications. I stopped, by large part, to write papers, and I shifted to help others, and also in the role, it's more important to read and listen than to write and talk. Mm. And that's where I am right now. Finally, um, writing something up for scientists is also important because when you write, you have to read, right? When you write, to really think about, uh, you engage so deeply with your work. So I can finish here on saying, putting work down, writing it up and sharing with others and go to a peer review process and, and build your credibility and, and maintain rigor is super important. And what is actually more challenging, putting that down, that thinking, and, and kind of bringing it uh, down to paper and publish it, or rather kind of inspiring others to be able to be the next Christian writing down the next set of publications? It is an intrinsic motivator, I think, for uh, enabling or enhancing your career, but the purpose is more important. Hmm. You have to have a very clean understanding of why you uh, commit to publication. And once again, it's, it's sharing transparency, inviting others, let the data reproduce. So that if you do this well, then the consequences or positive knock-on outcome factors that maybe you'd answer career. Mm. But don't publish because you want to have a career. Yeah. Publish because you want to make an impact. Great. And actually, another personal question that I would have in the beginning, you, you actually started out studying at Greifswald, mm -hmm. which is let's say, rather small and in the northeast corner of Germany, then you worked but also lived in Switzerland, mm -hmm. the US, mm -hmm. and now in Berlin. Mm -hmm. um, do you feel kind of a, what we would call in Germany, a Wanderlust inside? Mm -hmm. yeah? um, or did you have to move out of the mere necessity because of your career? And mm -hmm. is there anything that by now you were missing back then when you had that cozy little Greifswald uh, around you? <laughs> All right. Um, so moving around wasn't a design principle. I think I followed and pursued then opportunities. Okay. Yet now looking back already a little bit, 
living at different places, experiencing living different cultures, how people work, uh, how people think, how they get stuff done. And when you are in different environments, you, you meet lots of new people and you see different leaders and action mm. and so forth. So I can only recommend everyone, move. Move around, don't stand still. You know, the world is beautiful uh, in very different ways of, of living and doing science and making medicines. Uh, it clearly helped me to broaden my perspective and it always keeps you very humble. You know, you will be challenged, right? You always have to establish yourself and you have to make an impact at different places. So it keeps you very humble. So absolutely. Now to Greifswald, you mentioned it's small. It's small and it's a good thing, I think, about a university like Greifswald. It's also very old, by the way. Mm -hmm. It's super old and Sometimes in Europe, you go to, again, different cities and everywhere. It's like, we have the oldest vineyard or we have the oldest university. But I can say that I think uh, Kreisfeld is amongst the top three uh, oldest universities in Europe. But I will sometimes be reminded, tradition. I don't think Kreisfeld is, a, is known for being a fast-paced environment. Uh, and, you know, sometimes I remember you get a handwritten letter from your professor. And it, it was so meaningful, right? Because oh. you sit down and you put something on paper. And you think before you write something because, you know, uh, digital is different. So maybe these kind of traditional values, and I actually do this still. I sometimes take a handwritten letter to an employee or to a colleague and communicate something in this way. And maybe I'm grateful about the experience in a traditional environment. And then as Bismarck said, you know, if the world goes to end, I'll quickly move to Mecklenburg, where Kreiswald belongs to mm -hmm. Because it takes another hundred years there. So sometimes, you know, low pace can also be good. And uh, knowing you by now for quite a couple of years, I, I really always honored your values that you strongly stick to personally. Yeah? And I know that you want to make an impact in science. And also that fits nicely to kind of Bayer's leading claim, which is science for a better mm -hmm. life. And with that in mind, what are, from your perspective, the biggest advancements for you that mm -hmm. science brought to our everyday life and at least made it better um, right. from what we had in the past. Thank you. Um, when you mentioned, I you know, want to make an impact, but it is an impact for the patients we serve by using science. And I think there is no better job in the world than helping patients, helping people, humankind, and by working with others on, you know, cutting edge science, technology, and I mean, what a privilege, right, to, to do this. And I would agree that the mission statement for Bayer of, science for better life and health for all and hunger for none, I mean, it's profound and it's so yeah. connected. And I totally sign up for that. You were asking... What the kind of biggest advancements uh, from science you think we have seen over the last couple of years that made our life better, yeah, let's say. Well, you know, recently, I, I'll, I'll get to it, but quite frankly, I traveled um, overseas, came back, I had a bit of a headache and I took aspirin. So I think, <laughs> uh, you know, every time I appreciate this white powder, then um, in terms of advancement is, for instance, having access, easy access of managing pain to, you know, have life quality, um, then in general, I think, and again, Bayer made contributions on all counts here, with antibiotics, we don't die from a bacterial infection anymore. Yet, I don't think we have a collective awareness that the resistance, antimicrobial resistance, is a big issue and it's disproportional to the challenge there and, and how we deal with this. And then the pandemic, I mean, come on, very innovative vaccines in record time by a very different way of working between companies, regulators, uh, the awareness suddenly in the public domain that science matters and the impact mm. you can make. And, and so a very recent, I think, is uh, spectacular of using mRNA for vaccines and how we 
quickly sequence a virus in 48 hours and know the genetic makeup, can identify, uh, you know, in a digital way, by uh, applying already machine learning, yeah. what are the most potent antigens, and can identify antibodies or vaccine literally overnight. And in general, I do think that, you know, with access to genetics, uh, genetic information on patients' genomic information, and now even we get, I'm sure you get into this, using genetic medicine or genetic-based medicines, this is a profound advancement in science and reminds us there has never been a more exciting time in life sciences right now. Okay. This is the most productive, most creative, most... This is the time of life science. Yeah. This epoch will be reminded for on, on biology and the bio-epoch of life science. I think what, what comes nicely together these days is the understanding of disease and health biology at the same time paired with patient-level data where you can actually make a read into the makeup of a patient. And this is really giving us a great time. Absolutely. And uh, can I just revert back to yeah. that record timelines that we recently had on mRNA vaccines? Mm -hmm. Do you think this is going to be a blueprint going forward? Um, is this something where we can in, I don't know, 10 years, look back and said, look, this mRNA, this COVID situation really moved the needle um, in how we are developing drugs and how we are regulating drugs um, jointly across the stakeholders. Yeah, I sign up for that. Uh, has it happened yet? No, not yet. But everybody is really um, not just talking about it. We talk about it because we recognize, and as they say, don't let a, a good crisis to go waste, right? Yeah. So clearly will we see an impact I just learned that, uh, for instance, the FDA launches new warp speed-like initiatives, right? Warp speed was a huge um, mm -hmm. impact, get the first vaccine approved by the FDA. So, in fact, there are commitments. It will make an impact, yet I hope we keep the urgency. Mm -hmm. uh, and we also have to be frank about that not everything constitutes a pandemic crisis, not everything is a life-threatening, you know, and, 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 and so forth. We need to be measured and apply this in different areas for different unmet needs. But in general, in average, if things take 10 years, 1 billion, and we work the way we used to work, uh, I don't think that it's sustainable. And, and now we have a role model in front mm. of us. Yeah. And as you are the head of the R&D efforts within Bayer Pharma, could you tell a bit more of what kind of innovative but also transformative developments you're aiming for in the coming years? You know, it's been now almost 150 years and I think 130 years starting with aspirin, yet you can't give the presence to the past, right? So we uh, continue to imagine the unimaginable for us in science. Our focus has been and will be to take our, you know, creativity efforts, all the resources to patients with the highest unmet medical needs. Everyone has to benefit from the innovation and that, that's what we do. At some time, I think humankind is experienced progressive changes in, in life science innovation, exactly fueled by the scientific, technical, technological or digital advancements and, and, and especially the speed. I did mention before that I think this, the time we're living in right now will be in history, be reminded like the bio, you know, the life science epoch. And, but is the unprecedented opportunity, isn't it's a shift of mind set here is the convergence of technology with biology, the convergence uh, yeah. of, of various different technologies. And that is new. And it really enables and gets us to places where we haven't been. So that is what drives us, I think. Um, 
We always start with the patients I'm at need first. We want to make medicine. We have to always have the end in mind at the beginning. That is getting a medicine approved that has an, an, makes an impact on patient's life. Allow me that we just recently uh, created our vision for research and development mm -hmm. at, at Bayer Pharmaceuticals. And we, we did this not... <laughs> Sorry, we did it not with a consultant. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I value your input. It will be phenomenal. I, yeah? <laughs> I appreciate your support, but sometimes you have to when it's, it's almost on, on your DNA and it has to hybridize with everyone's DNA. We thought we own it to each other and we also didn't want to trust the top-down management, like where we go in the room. So we did it co-created with across the organization representatives. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a large, complex organization. Anyway, so our vision, uh, Thomas, is treat the untreatable, mm -hmm. offer hope, cure disease. And we will use our opportunities in scientific discoveries and, as I said, new technologies to live up to our vision statement. The range and quality across all what we do at Bayer and the modalities, therapeutic modalities, I, I do think is unparalleled. And our mission is exactly to do this, to use the science, the innovation to change medical practice for far better outcome than we have today for patients. And one of those areas where, to me, looking also, obviously, throughout the pharmaceutical industry, one area where Bayer is really positioning itself, yourself, quite strongly is in cell and gene therapies. And recently, for instance, you also established a Pluroc site here in Berlin, bringing them over from the US. And we have also in the past discussed this in some of our podcasts, but always more from a startup perspective rather than a big corporate perspective. Mm -hmm. And given this vision that you very nicely put forward and also kind of the commitment and the investment that Bayer is making mm -hmm. as a big pharma player in these new modalities and new treatment paradigms that really could make shift the needle for, mm -hmm. for patients in need. Do you believe that cell and gene therapies will be the next big thing and ultimately leaving its niche? Yeah? Because right. for the time being, obviously, we all have the Zolgensmas, the new Bluebird bio um, asset that are beyond the 2 million per patient price mark. Um, at the same time, we're also seeing kind of first signs that cell and gene therapies are emerging from a niche to more a broader right. usage, looking into DLBCL, for instance, mm -hmm. um, where companies like uh, Gilead Kite, um, but also BMS have second line authorization by now, mm -hmm. so can be given to a broader set of patients. Do you believe it will ultimately leave this niche? And or what are the challenges that you see that need to still mm -hmm. be overcome in order to make that Yeah, more broadly used and, and mm -hmm. uh, broadly applied. In short, allowed, yes. Now, what do I mean by this? And you talk about niche or niches. You know, I, I would think that niches shouldn't translate into it's incremental, right? Or niches are not important. They absolutely are. And before I share with you how I think and why, why we are committed and so excited about these new technologies or modalities in the area of cell and gene therapy, I want to bring back again that we start with the unmet need the patient in mind. So we are not sort of excited and playing in our laboratories mm -hmm. with technologies because we think they are fancy. No, they are applied with purpose. Mm -hmm. So we be focusing on cancer and cardiovascular, for instance, areas. And these are the two biggest killers in healthcare uh, around the world. 
So, you know, as we speak now, you know, a number of patients uh, in the area of oncology, cancer patients will die, right? I think in cardiovascular, every minute in the US, somebody has an infarct, right? Mm -hmm. And then if a stroke on top of it, and it's unbelievable what the pure numbers tell you. And because of this has happened, we also need to be humble and reflect that the industry collectively or the history of medicine, we haven't made enough big impact. Mm -hmm. And if we always do what we always did, we will always get what we always got. And that is for currently too little impact. So mm -hmm. we need to break out and embrace new technologies, new modalities. And they are not limited, by the way, to cell and gene therapy. We also see a lot of advancement in other areas. Now, you did ask specifically to cell and gene therapy. And I do believe these genetic or cell-based medicines, they hold a huge potential, if not the key to future medical innovation by addressing very often the root causes of diseases and potentially delivering, you know, regenerative approaches for patients across multiple disease areas. Oncology, you mentioned, cardiovascular I brought in. And of course, a huge area where we need to make an impact is on neurodegenerative diseases. Yeah. So the concept of we install functions by bringing new cells to life or fixing genes, uh, which is the root cause, the one-time intervention for a long doable outcome. That is dreams for us in making medicines. Bottom line, this is here to stay. Um, this is still in, in baby shoes, but there is a clear need and an opportunity. The science will further mature, but I'm a strong believer that future medicine uh, will be supported or will be very influenced by cell and genome-based or genetic medicines. Yeah. yeah, it can't be even more precise, more personalized um, yes. than, than these type of therapies. And next to those investments or collaborations that you made with kind of those novel gene and cell therapies, you also invested recently into Vividian, which yes. is a more traditional biopharma company developing small molecules. Yeah, um, that's why a bit more traditional, but for high value, as they say, or you say, also traditionally undruggable diseases, right? So it's yeah. always that kind of the edge behind the edge that you're striving for to solve. Yes. That, that's what I'm getting uh, yeah. out of it. Making those decisions, when to basically in-house develop that or um, partner with someone like Mammoth or even buying out someone like Blue Rock or Vividian, how do you take that decision when to do what, right? Um, is it in-house? Is it a partnership? Is it a direct buyout? Is it kind of staggered over time? Um, how do you come to that conclusion? And where do you see the pros and the cons of it? Good question. But one question we you have to deal with on a daily basis. And what do I mean by this? One is you have to have a culture in an R&D organization that is open to innovation no matter where it comes from. So you have to really consider that the world is your laboratory. Mm -hmm. And to the same time, you have to, of course, work with the best talents and establish all capabilities and competencies and processes of innovation science and, and research and development internally. Because only then you will be able to you know, envision, recognize external opportunities. You have to go through a diligence process to you know, uh, make sure that what's promised to you or what's described to you is real and you can turn this into value. It's a bit of a yin and yang. It's always like this. But most important is that our scientists prioritize the impact potential innovation can make, whether it comes from internal and external, mm -hmm. that we not prioritize that, you know, the innovation has to come from us okay. and we, we pursue almost an ego, right? Or we take too much pride in our own work. So a lot has to do uh, with the culture. The next thing is it's about values and how you prioritize. So if you think about the patients, 
one of our uh, values is to help them as soon as you can. And that is, if someone else has something that we don't have and is more advanced, then this has to get premium attention. Mm -hmm. So I would always say if someone is ahead of you, it may not be better, but is ahead of you, let's evaluate whether the time advantage is important for the business and, mm. and, and bringing it sooner to patient. Sometimes we may decide and say, no, you know, that somebody is ahead, but we don't believe in the quality of the molecule science or strategy and we'll do it uh, internally. We have to constantly assess. We don't have a strategic master plan on when to acquire X, Y, Z. We look at our capabilities. Is this inside strategy? Can we create more and faster value together than alone? And ultimately, to be consistent and be, uh, you know, almost pristine, clear on, on your values, it is always what can create the best value as soon as possible. And for this, you often need external mm. uh, opportunities. Yeah. I'm a true believer also of external advancement of innovation mm -hmm. that, that you kind of bring in-house, right? But at the same time, it must have some challenges, I assume, because um, if you buy out someone like Blue Rock, they have, I don't know, you know for sure, a couple of hundred people. Uh, mm -hmm. um, Bayer has a couple of thousands, multi-thousands of people. Mm -hmm. If everyone from Bayer would send them an email once a day, they would not be doing anything else but yes. answering your emails, right? <laughs> yes. So what are the practical <laughs> problems that lie with these kind of partnerships? Uh, oh dear, that, that's um, a catch-22. It's really challenging. Yet when you make a commitment, first and foremost, to an external partner, a team, and you have to respect and understand how they work. And we can't superimpose how we work to them. It just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. When we meet a company like us, Bio or Blue Rock or Viridian, or it doesn't always have to be an acquisition, also collaborations or yeah. licensing, first and foremost, you always meet special people. Talent, you admire how they work, you know, their brains, their passion. And number one goal has to be to maintain that. And to continue, honestly, harness and leverage that. Uh, so you have to put mechanism in place and really operating principles mm. to make sure that we don't change their DNA or behaviors, but we make it work together. Ultimately, I always dream about, it's almost like going against law of physics or gravity. When you combine one and one, is there three at the end? Ah. And that is the synergies between a large pharma company and a smaller biotech company. But you're absolutely right. We uh, have to make sure that we create more value together, not destroying it by certain behaviors or integration mechanisms. Or, you know, we are big and we paid and you, you are us now. Uh, this is only destroying where this creating. And this requires leadership and this requires a certain culture. And leaders is about creating some followers. That means if you want to work like this, I do expect and request for my organization to follow that principle of how to work with uh, external people. Yeah. That reminds me also very nicely, actually, um, to our past that we shared together on, on one of the instances where we also kind of brought together different stakeholders uh, and working together, meeting on, on an eye-to-eye -eye level and remaining being humble. Yes, yeah, yeah, um, this, yeah. is, this is the key to unlock people, yeah, to, yeah. to really jointly collaborate in a true manner. And uh, next to that kind of external innovation engine that you're using from these mm -hmm. smaller biotechs, you're also pursuing more multinational, multilateral collaboration with also some of your largest pharmaceutical 
um, peers. Mm -hmm. yeah? um, and we can talk, for instance, about the Precision Cancer Consortium that recently was announced between Bayer, GSK, Novartis and Roche, where you're actually coming from. The aim of that endeavor is to increase the patient access to precision diagnostics that are vivid, obviously, to prescribe at some point precision medicine by usage of comprehensive genomic testing, including also next-gen sequencing. How do you make such a complex international <laughs> collaboration work and ensure both kind of the advancements mm -hmm. in, in diagnostic therapies for the greater good, for the patient, for society, mm -hmm. but also the individual efforts that you and the others put into this. And you need to also strive for a benefit for every company involved. Hence, there needs to be some sort of return on invest. How do you, how do you gauge that? Yeah, well, you know, when you set this out and you, you already said, you know, it was the, the purpose here, the vision of the Precision Cancer Consortium, PCC, Uh, was to remove barriers and not to create them and, you know, uh, have a shared awareness and a responsibility how we can advance pre-competitively science. But look, you know, we, we just experience as you and I, maybe one of us wouldn't sit here without the speed and collaboration of the vaccine development yeah. for, for COVID. So uh, there are companies that were fierce competitors suddenly became the, the most effective uh, collaborators because of you know, understanding the urgency. Right when a pandemic crisis is suddenly there, people change their behavior. And you also ask already, like, can we see this more often and so forth? So this kind of spirit has to come. You have to create a framework. You have to think big and you have to be very purposeful. Data sharing, co-investing, advancing technologies in a pre-competitive way that people can apply them for their own purpose and pipeline. And yes, can then create also intellectual property, but maybe less on a common you know, platform or data sharing knowledge or technology platform rather than on the application of certain molecules, target mechanism, disease types. So it is an, not easy sometimes. We, we stand in our own ways, but this has been done and that can work. And most important is the framework and say, uh, uh, what do we expect from each other? And can we um, hold on to that? Yeah. No matter how you're advancing or identifying any sort of R&D asset, technology undoubtedly yeah, is one of the biggest enablers of such a future-driven, innovative and better healthcare. What is basically your perspective on technology from an R&D perspective, but also more from a societal perspective? I see, obviously, mm -hmm. the great uh, advancements that you can achieve with it, but are there, from your perspective, technologies we theoretically could morally probably should not apply uh, in medicine, such as genome editing or chip implantation or any, mm -hmm. any fancy stuff yet to come in the future. We just seen how important it is for us, and I don't think we really do a good enough job here, um, to communicate science. Right? We all see the benefit from, uh, I stay on this for the mRNA vaccine, which, yeah, okay, hasn't been done and not in this context. By the way, we always refer to that the, the mRNA vaccine was developed in record time, I think less than two years. But it took like 20 years or 30 years to understand the underlying yes. biology. And companies like CureVac or BioNTech, I mean, chapeau, right? they invested in this and believe in this. And now we all have the privilege to benefit from that. But to the same time, where you've seen this profound, amazing impact, and at the same time, you know, there are people 
are very concerned, have resistance, and even think, you know, you mentioned it, with the vaccine, you put a chip in people. So um, we have to communicate and we have to understand people's concern and we have to take them along. Are there things that one should not do every single time? We are in the most regulated business here of the highest ethical moral standards. When you study medicine, as you know, the first thing you say, do not do harm. Uh, When you work with regulators, their number one goal is to protect people, patients, and their number one question is on safety and not efficacy. Uh, And that is what we do every day. And regardless whether you have a new technology or not, you have to always make sure you help and don't harm. And this is in particular, of course, with cell gene therapy is new, and we have to follow the regulatory standards and generate all the evidence and data that enable us to go to patients and to the market and be holding on to that. We should also have, a, you and I and anybody in shared understanding, if you do something new, you know, you move in an area where you haven't been in, that you have to learn. And there will be failures, and some of them are devastating, um, but they will ultimately advance us. And we have to learn and keep going because the unmet need is overwhelming. Yeah. The need for new therapeutic approaches is present. Yes, but <laughs> I can only reinsure uh, a company like Bayer or every other of my colleagues in every company I know pursue their work with a commitment to patients yet under the guidance of the highest, utmost ethical and, and moral standards of pursuing our work. And it's regulated. Yeah. And because you, you are also referencing colleagues from other companies and obviously also you have been in places with other um, pharma companies and gained quite some extensive track record in oncology and oncology research. And I know that this is very close to your heart, also my heart, and uh, also Bayer is putting out uh, the ambition to, to become a top 10 oncology company globally until 2030. With that in mind, um, in oncology in particular, what do you think will be the biggest advancements going forward um, in, let's say, the next 10 years or so? And ultimately, do you think that cancer will be, at one day, be curable? Obviously, respecting there is not that one cancer, but do you think, by and large, cancer will be something that we will control going forward? And before you answer, one of our joint friend, uh, Van Bodenmiller, um, I asked that question uh, before. He actually has kids that are at the same age as mine, and he was actually referencing to them. He believes that for them, cancer won't be such a big problem anymore because mm-hmm. it's more controlled because of coming together of disease biology understanding and, mm-hmm. and data being available if we do a couple of things right. But would love to hear your perspective. Well, first I share this sentiment, absolutely. And anything else would actually be unacceptable. Um, because I do think the science is there. Look, first, a little detour again. Maybe you could say, who knows? Right? Yeah. At, at the time when Dr. Felix Hoffman synthesized uh, some 130 years ago, aspirin for the first time. You see, this is a reoccurring scene, but yeah. I really find this fascinating, by the way. And what you see, what we do today in, in pure chemistry, small molecule drug discovery, from the target space to modalities, how we produce uh, and synthesize molecules, libraries, and you name it. And he can't defend himself now, but I, you know, I would say this guy, Felix Hoffman, would have not imagined what's possible today versus when they did their scale up, which large buckets, you know, and <laughs> which would not, I don't think, would pass any single step of what we do today in the process uh, in, in synthesizing. I find this inspiring, and I find this that we need to be humble and, and we have to work with imagine if and, and 
every time somebody says this is probably don't work, th th this idea should raise your attention. You should even build more commitment than just dropping it because someone like me who is old and is uh, limited by some experience, you, your imagination will become limited or erodes. It is what it is. So young people, when everybody says, you know, this is probably not going to work, it's not a good idea, don't take a no too soon for a no. In cancer, a number of things coming together. And again, it's technology driven. First and foremost, we are at a time where we can apply genetic, genomic, and single cell, Don Bodenmiller, by the way, one of the best people in the world doing this, we get more information from the disease in patients. We used to do cancer research by doing experiments in, in labs, in animal models, in cell models, and we did experiments that were too far removed from the patient's context. Today, our hypothesis, our finding starts in the patients already. So huge quantum leap of the starting point is less biased and much more informed from the disease. Second to this is we learned that, we keep learning, but it's a fact now that cancer is an extremely personalized disease. Mm -hmm. So if cancer is a personalized disease, the medicine has to be personalized in, in most parts. Um, then we have much more molecules or therapies available because cancer is also an, an, a complex disease. Let it be the interface to immune system, the tumor microenvironment, and so forth. You need combinations. So we can do way more combinations. And uh, as we uh, touched on it several times in, in our conversation here, Thomas, we have access to new modalities like cell, and I, I even think mRNA and potentially personal cancer vaccines, I do think this will come. The final point is actually perhaps the most important one is we will fight cancer far better if we detect it early in the most vulnerable phase of its development. So earlier detection, earlier intervention, if not at some point preventing cancer, but for near-term goal has to be uh, find it as soon as possible in, in people and patients and intervene as soon as possible and then follow through and, and monitor and have for every stage and every type of cancer for every patient's therapeutic options available. But what you and Bernd referenced, uh, I, I am signing up for that. And we put a lot of efforts, talent and resources to work to help achieving this goal with everyone else in the world. Super. And there could not be a better ending than that to our conversation, Christian. I really enjoyed this and uh, you reminded me on what really drives a company such as Bayer and everyone involved in, in healthcare, that the value you bring to patients is what is the striving or the driving factor behind everything, right? So that's the root intention of everything. And second, you You put out nicely that the time for leapfrog innovation in healthcare to really make a step change for some of the diseases is now because we have that disease biology understanding. We have the data available. And also it came across as a pledge to me that go for sometimes also the unthinkable for now and do that not only on your own, but in collaboration, not only with your colleagues internally, but also look out uh, to the outside world, to the to the biotechs, the startups, but also the, the other multinationals and, and, and see why Absolutely. it makes sense to join forces. And yeah. So really enjoyed that. Same here. Thank you for inviting me into your podcast, Thomas. 
With that said, everyone, thanks for listening in. I hope you truly enjoyed the episode with Christian myself as much as I did. And looking ahead in our next episode, I will have the chance to sit together with the global head of health and pharma industry of one of the biggest technology players globally. And I'm, of course, already very much looking forward to this and would appreciate if you would also tune in into this surely interesting conversation, especially in the light of very recent moves of tech players in the US within healthcare. But until then, thanks again for listening today and stay safe and all the best. Take care and bye-bye. Strategy and strategy made real.